0: Welcome to The Whole Steward, the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. I'm your host, Andrew Stanton, and I'm glad you've joined. I find it difficult to continue with my daily routine of family, work, church, The Whole Steward, without acknowledging the horrific recent events in Israel and Palestine. And when things don't add up, we're left wondering, how could this be? We ask the question, what's happening today? on the whole steward. Episode number 42, and I'm thankful you're listening. As I said, uh, I have a hard time going about my work, going about my daily routine without acknowledging or with the thought that these horrific events have taken place In our world, I think uh, you're probably living under a rock if you haven't seen the images, the videos, the uh, heard about the events that have taken place. It's an absolute tragedy. And I think we need to acknowledge, or it needs to be said, and it has been many, many times, that this is an. Act of pure evil, just utter barbarism, terrible atrocities that I personally cannot unsee, nor can you if you've seen them, and nor can the people who have experienced them either firsthand or by way of relation to the people who have experienced this. Now, Israel is one of the U.S.'s allies, and our hearts go out to the men, women, and children who were massacred, tortured publicly, and made to be put on display for the whole world to see, on purpose, for this to happen. I'm just, I'm very sad. Very, very sad, as are many. What I want to do today is look at just some of the things that I've been thinking about uh, as this happens. Now, certainly you have the calls on both sides. Those who are praising what happened and others who are condemning what happened. And those who are calling for retaliation. And certainly Israel is doing that. Right now, to a certain extent. But let's stop and let's take this one step at a time. I've been learning a bit more about the Israeli Palestinian conflict. I don't know if you found yourself looking this up at all. I visited Israel when I was 18 years old. My sister was 15, and we were able to go with friends. We toured the whole land of Israel, top to bottom. Uh, even went into Jordan for a day. It was a very excellent trip. Wonderful countryside, uh, just a very different than the U.S. In fact, it's the only country that I've flown to that is outside of this country. I very much appreciated that trip. I have a little bit of a sense of what it's like, but not a lot. I'm definitely an outsider to all of this living in the U.S. and being born and raised here. However, I just want to start by looking at, this is Israel here on the map, Uh, is a very small area, but Gaza is even smaller. It's a very, very, very small strip of land. And there are a lot of Palestinians who live in this area of Gaza. I've heard it said it's about the size of New Jersey, The Gaza Strip is about 25 miles long and only three and a half to about seven and a half miles wide and has a total area of about 141 square miles. But there are well over two million people in this one little area. By contrast, there's about 10 million in all of Israel combined. Now, The density of the population is just tremendous. It's mind boggling. I like to browse Google Maps in many different parts of the world and Gaza has really caught my fascination here. Now, when you zoom in and you look at the density of the city, look at this. This is where Hamas operates out of. They operate out of Gaza. They are embedded in Gaza. They operate out of whatever buildings are available and strategically those surrounding civilians. Now, the people who live in Gaza, a lot of the Palestinians, are refugees from many different places. However, they are involved in a land battle that goes back millennia, all the way back to even the time of Abraham. So if you look very briefly in Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 to 21, you can read this for yourself. I'll just read a couple of verses to help us understand. You remember Abraham had Ishmael by Hagar, the slave woman, the Egyptian slave woman, whom Sarah gave to Abraham to bring him offspring because she did not believe the Lord would provide the offspring via uh, herself, Abraham's wife. So it was a big mess and a lack of trust in God. But you can see that God speaks to Ishmael. Long story short, there was conflict within the family once Isaac was born, and Sarah wanted to send Hagar and Ishmael away. Abraham did not like this idea, but God told him, yes, you need to do this. So he banishes Hagar, gives her a little bit of water, sends her off with her son, and they were dying in the desert. Verse 17 says, And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast in your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. And really, the rest is history. I don't have time to go into it, nor do I understand it fully. But this is the beginning of God making Ishmael into a great nation. Of course, now there is a lot of history that I'm skipping over, but there are major land disputes between these people groups and between the religions. Now, in recent history, Gaza has been a major flashpoint for Israel. Since Israel became a nation in the 1940s, this has always been a big conflict. And it amazes me that Hamas actually has seats in their parliament or their PLC, their Palestinian Legislative Council. If you look right here on Wikipedia, it shows that Hamas has 74 seats out of 132. And the crazy thing to me is that the elections, whatever that means, have been uh, halted and postponed for many, many years. But the PLC has a quorum requirement of two-thirds. And since 2006, Hamas and Hamas-affiliated members have held 74 of the 132 seats in the PLC. That, to me, is mind-boggling. How an organization like this, with this amount of power, this amount of killing desire, holds seats in Parliament. Now, on the flip side, you have a lot of citizens in Gaza. I showed you, if you go to Gaza on Google Maps, and you just zoom in on the population area, it is amazing to me how dense this place is. There are over 2 million people living in Gaza, and if you even look at the street view, you can see it's a very poor area, but a very densely populated area, and there are a lot of citizens, and certainly all these people do not Support Hamas and the killing that took place. And it wasn't just killing, it was massacring. It was women, children, men, it was torture, beheadings, a real spectacle. You see, they did this in a way to provoke the world to retaliation. I don't see any way around that. Now, it's fascinating to me that. Last week, I went over the golden rule. When I recorded the episode, I was not aware of the events in Israel and Palestine. If you've seen videos or images of the events, they are very difficult to watch and look at. There's a video here I watched from Channel 4 News that had a lot of uh, very front-line type footage and interviews. In fact, this man here and his wife were held hostage at gunpoint for, I think it was 24 hours, or it was a long time, at least close to a day or if not more. And I'm not going to play the clip, but if you're interested and you're able to kind of stomach the graphic nature of these attacks... The interview with this couple is very fascinating because they lived out the golden rule with their attackers and the people holding them hostage. They offered them food and water. They lived out the golden rule, and the attackers responded very well to that. It's fascinating. They are still alive, though so many around them in their village are dead or taken prisoner. If you're interested, it starts at 534 of this video called Minute by Minute, How Hamas Attacked Israel. I just wanted to point that out in all the footage that I was viewing, there's a very real world example of the golden rule being lived out. Now, that is not to say that we should not defend ourselves because there's a huge issue which we'll get into later, which is the fact that. Israel has disarmed their citizens, but that is for a later point. Just in terms of the U.S. response to this, everybody ends up taking sides and of course the entire world is completely united behind the fact that these were atrocious acts. However, there are many who are praising Hamas for what they have done. Uh, Those would include Iran and even many in the U.S. You see these protests. But in terms of the official response of the president's administration, he says, we stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. He repeated it twice, if you didn't catch his speech. And that is taking sides. Now, of course, we should take sides against this atrocious organization and there are others they're terrorists in fact the lady that i was telling you about who was held hostage who lived out the golden rule was asked who do you think these people are and uh, she'll give you her opinion and she was held right there with her husband at gunpoint with the terrorists in her house so those types of first world perspectives to me are very valuable so biden administration official stance we stand with israel And we've already sent two of our aircraft carriers over there, along with all the battleships. This is very scary to uh, a lot of people, and we'll get into why that is, but let's continue here. There are calls around the world on both sides, rallying around support of Israel and rallying around support of Palestinians now. Anyone who is innocent, who did not perpetrate these attacks, should be certainly left alone. These are human beings. We're talking about people. Regular, ordinary people. In Gaza, over 2 million of them. In Israel, 10 million or so total. However, I heard one comparison. I think it was uh, the Prime Minister of Israel who said this would be the equivalent of at the time of the 9-11 attacks that 3,000 people died, or you know just over that, and we have about 330 million people in our country. Well, that would be the equivalent of 30,000 people having died in this attack. Uh, it's a huge portion of their population that was affected directly by this attack. Now, the calls for support on both sides have been fascinating to see because tens of thousands are rallying around on both sides. And it's very interesting that Hamas purposefully targets men, women, and children and makes a display of it. Whereas Israel and their allies will attack. They are attacking now. And they call it collateral damage. Well, these citizens of Gaza who do not support Hamas are victims of this collateral damage. And it is severe. It is great. There's no easy way out of this. It's a disgusting, disgusting situation. I just find it fascinating that you have calls on both sides We stand with the Palestinians. We stand with the Israelis. How about we stand for life in general? Except for those who need to be knocked out, need to be wiped off the face of the earth. And that's Israel's uh, commitment. But how are they going to do that when Hamas fights in such a way that they hide in all these buildings? Remember how densely populated Gaza is? I mean, Israel is talking about a ground invasion right now of Gaza. This is going to be incredibly destructive to the IDF, hopefully to Hamas, but also to the citizens of Gaza. It's very sad, very difficult situation. The The damage is, is tremendous. Al Jazeera, which is a Middle Eastern news outlet, is reporting that there are at least... 2,215 Palestinians that have been killed and 8,714 wounded in just the Israeli air attacks on Gaza so far. The number of people killed in Israel has reached 1,300, So and, and there are 3,400 wounded. Now, people are dying. It's very sad. But the death toll is definitely higher right now on the Palestinian side. Now, I hope and pray that all 2,215 of those are Hamas, directly guilty of the atrocities committed. But we certainly know that's not the case. And Israel has told the citizens of Gaza, 1.1 million residents, to head south ahead of the looming ground offensive. They've told them to evacuate. Now, I don't know how you evacuate 1.1 million people. There should be corridors, just like there was in Ukraine, that there are citizen corridors that they can safely pass through. But we know that Hamas does not respect people's lives. We will come from the ground. Israelis' goals in a ground invasion of Gaza are sowing panic and confusion. I mean, the, the, the order is ominous. And you can you can read about that here. I'll put all the links in the show notes. But just to make sure that the numbers came from multiple sources, I checked from an American standpoint, this is CNN, saying that over 2,000 people have been killed in the Hamas-run territory since last Saturday. So indeed that seems to be the case. Although you never know with uh, mainstream media, what's true and what isn't. But it does say that the 1.1 million people have been warned they are to be evacuated. Now, the response is interesting. NPR did a poll about between Democrats, Republicans, independents, and their support for Israel. And the question was asked, thinking about the war between Israel and Hamas, should the U.S. government Publicly support Israel, say or do nothing, unsure, or publicly criticize Israel. The overwhelming majority of Democrats, Republicans, and well over 50% of independents say that they should publicly support. Israel. Now, what's interesting is that there's quite a few people, 10% of Democrats and 11% of independents, 5% of Republicans say that the US government should openly criticize Israel. And then there's 18%, 15 and 32 of Democrats, Republicans and independents that say we should say or do nothing. It was fascinating to me as well the generational divide. The older you are, the more likely you are to say you stand with Israel and that the U.S. government should openly support Israel. And you can see from this graph, I'll put the link in the description, that the younger the generation, the less likely they are to support the government openly supporting Israel. And the Gen Z and millennials are by far the smallest support. Most of them, or many of them, not most of them. Most of them still say they that the government should support Israel, but 37% say they should do, say or do nothing. So it's a very complicated issue, but majority of people are saying we stand with Israel just because Hamas, and this is my own conjecture now, is the most evil, openly, blatantly, provokingly evil in this battle. Now, I learned a new term this week. I kept hearing the term neocon. Have you ever heard neocon? It stands for neoconservative, and it's, it has one of two definitions. Number one, formally a liberal espousing political conservatism, but I think what it's more so used in the context that I've been hearing it It's more the second definition, which is a conservative who advocates the assertive promotion of democracy and U.S. national interest in international affairs, including through military means. So the neocons would say we need to show and promote democracy in the world by forcing the matter through our military. You saw that when we invaded the Middle East 20 years ago, trying to promote and create democracies in places where, yeah, it was a failure. And we lost that war and pulled out recently in a pretty humiliating way, I think. We gave a a lot of these terrorist organizations a bunch of our weapons and and assets. So who knows? They might have been using them on the Israeli people right now or during the attack. So the question arises then, how did this happen? How did one of the most capable, most secure militaries in the world get breached such that its citizens were just brutally attacked? How did this breach happen? A lot of people say, well... You shouldn't be asking those questions. Now is not the time to question how did this happen. Now is the time to fight. We're in the middle of a fight and we're invading, we're bombing, we're doing all this stuff. But sometimes, and I've learned this over the last three years, when things don't add up, there's usually more below the surface. And a breach like this of one of the most powerful, one of the most capable militaries in the world, and certainly supported by allies that are very capable, allow a breach for hours and hours on end, where people are just suffering and dying for hours. And of course, you've heard the explanations, you know, the various explanations of how this could happen. But do they hold water? I don't know. doesn't seem... To, uh, to make sense. There's so many reasons why this should not have happened. In terms of security, in terms of this, this border here between Gaza and Israel is one of the most defended, they call it the Iron Wall, one of the best defended walls of all time. And even the mainstream media, like right here in the Jerusalem Post, the question is being asked... How did Israel fail to stop Hamas, October 7th attack? You see, this is an opinion piece by Seth Frantzman, but the question is being asked even here. And the problem is people don't like to ask these questions or they're afraid to ask these questions. Why? Because you will be labeled, wait for it, a conspiracy theorist. That term is very interesting because it's been made to be a derogatory term to sort of delegitimize questions when you question the mainstream narrative. Hey, we have the official story. We told you what the story is. That's what it is. Stop asking questions. But this is so egregious that even here, the question's being asked. Questions left unanswered. How were Israel's defenses hollowed out? Where was their force, which is supposed to respond quickly? Why weren't commandos sent to the border to stop the terrorists from bringing women, children, and the elderly back to Gaza? How were 200 soldiers killed by Hamas, an organization that was supposed to be inferior to RIDF? How come the high command and intelligence services didn't know about the planned attack? Why wasn't there the Hannibal Directive ordered to stop the kidnappings of 100 citizens? Why weren't tanks sent directly to the border? Why did it take a day or two just to secure the area? You see, I'm not the only one asking these questions. In fact, a lot of people are asking these questions. What is going on here? And if we've learned anything from the last three years, there's usually more going on below the surface and the people ordinary Joes and Janes ordinary people like you and me are the ones that end up taking the brunt of these events one byproduct of this is that the gun laws have been loosened suddenly in Israel it's very difficult for an Israeli citizen to own a gun there Uh, prior to this Most citizens were unarmed and unable to defend themselves, so as far as the golden rule goes, that specifically applies to being attacked for Christ's name's sake. In this case, you're being attacked for other various reasons, and certainly if you're able to defend yourself, it is quite appropriate in this case. Israel has acknowledged that, albeit too late, at least for this attack, but the Israeli Minister of National Security has said the following. Today, I directed the Firearms Licensing Division to go on an emergency operation in order to allow as many citizens as possible to arm themselves. The plan will take effect within 24 hours. Very interesting that all of a sudden now, they're like, oh yeah, well, Gun ownership is actually a, a good thing in this case. Well, it's a little late for this attack, but it just goes to show you. There's a podcast of an interview between Brett Weinstein and an Israeli, Efrat. Her name is Efrat Fenigsen. She's a Israeli citizen, and she used to work in the IDF. I want to play just a short portion for you of this podcast because it kind of gets at the questions that uh, I'm wondering.
1: Hours. This is something that is non-typical and unusual for Israel defense forces. Now, I've served in the military forces 25 years ago as uh, I was in the intelligence uh, forces uh, based in the Gaza Strip, as I told you. And I know the security drills. When I served, there was no internet. So I would sit next to the phone in my uh, shift of the fence of the security of the Gaza Strip. And whenever something would move alongside the fence, I would get a phone call from the human observers that are looking at the gate um, telling us there is a chain of command that you have to notify when something like this happens. And then straight away, uh, forces come in to look at what is it and take it down. So what do you mean when something moves by the fence? How small it is it, something? It can be a pig. It can be a cat moving alongside the fence or touching the fence or trying to cross the fence. An animal they would identify it, they would see it. There so are a cat a cat it gets would trigger yeah, it could trigger the fence, yeah. And An animal twenty five years later with And twenty five years blisters, later with internet and with the most sophisticated high tech weaponry systems, like drones, like there is a special system I don't know how to call it in English. Uh, it's called uh, seeing shooting. That's a literal translation from Hebrew to to English. Seeing shooting, it's a robot that sits on top of a of a um, uh, tower, looking looking at the fence, and whenever something Triggers the fence which has sensors on it, it's supposed to shoot, it's like automatic, right, and and there are drones, and there are helicopters, and there are troopers on the ground, and, you know, there are many things that are supposed to be activated, there are various lines of defense and layers of defense that are supposed to be activated when something like that happens. Okay, Uh, so I just want to make this clear, I mean, it probably is, but you have a system that is sensitive to anything the size of a cat or bigger. That system, since you were uh, manning it, has had 25 years to mature and become more sensitive, to become more discerning. And yet, how many places was that border breached? Fifteen. Fifteen places? It's not more, crazy. yeah. 15 and that is completely ridiculous because normally with one breach of the fence the whole army is Triggered and things start moving immediately Things start moving immediately and here there was nothing for hours and so I was I want to talk about some of the explanations that have been given so far There are some unbacked. I have to say that these explanations are unbacked by any evidence or proof so far, but they have been thrown out to the air or to the mainstream media. It started with Iranian cyber attack that took down the IDF tech infrastructure that was running around.
0: Okay, so you get an idea of what's being discussed here. I highly encourage you, listen to the entire episode. It was absolutely riveting. Now, Brett Weinstein does not come to the world from a Christian worldview. But that doesn't bother me because it is okay to listen to the other side, to think about things from different angles, and to question your own beliefs and your own perspectives and sort of stress test them against what others are saying. Now, the entire interview is absolutely riveting, Uh, very heartfelt but you should listen to the whole thing if you're interested hi this is gary pinkerton with gary's gulch podcast you are listening to the whole steward with andrew stanton one of the best research shows by a man of true passion now that you know more go out and grow more You see, it's not that far of a stretch to say that people may have conspired to allow this to happen to meet some greater agenda. And the problem with conspiracy theories is that a lot of times they're absolutely true. In fact, we conspire together all the time to do things. In fact, everything you could say in life is basically a conspiracy. Conspiracies are real. And Conspiracy theories are just attempts to form a theory around a possible explanation. That doesn't mean they're correct. Theories always have to be tested repeatedly and can be proven wrong. But we can agree, I hope, that conspiracies are very, very real. David conspired with Saul in in Saul's tent to go out and kill Goliath. Uh, The Philistines conspired together against the Israelites. We conspired together to go into business. Everything is really a conspiracy. A conspiracy is just people working together, possibly unbeknownst to other people, to do a particular thing. And when you have something like this that is so grossly inexplicable, it's hard to imagine that... This was completely organic. And they'll go into discussing possible explanations and what the theories are, very deep analysis of it. If you like deepness, uh, the whole podcast is an hour and 43 minutes long. But uh, they approach it from this very cautious standpoint. But it's an important conversation to have because the world is repeatedly duped into these massive damaging situations that are hard to get out of and it just causes a lot of damage, sometimes through the conspiracy of usually very powerful people. Now, this is not to say that this definitely was allowed purposefully, the the amount of atrocities. We hope and pray that is not the case. But it wouldn't be too far-fetched to think, well... You know, remember back, Israel was one of the grounds for mass vaccination and purposeful mandating and ostracizing. And I mean, they were basically one of the um, test pools for this max vaccination program. And this is on the New York Times. As Israel reopens, whoever does not get vaccinated will be left behind. You remember they were talking about green cards, like health passes and all this stuff, very oppressive to the citizenship. And it's very interesting that this happens on the tail end of many in the world kind of rallying together and seeing COVID clearly for what it was and what it is. And now suddenly with this invasion, everybody's divided. People who were just starting to unite around a common view of what many believe, with good support, to be a big conspiracy now divided between... The mainstream narrative and this confusing question of another war that affects many, many countries, not just Israel, not just Gaza. But we're talking about Iran. We're talking about the U.S., who, by the way, has two aircraft carriers with all the supporting ships over there now. We're talking about the war in Ukraine, even that is still going. I mean, it's almost like there's not enough trauma now. We need to distract everybody with more trauma. Look at, you remember the calls. It was the same thing. Stand with Ukraine, right? It was very divisive in that. And these things are always so much more nuanced. And that podcast, if you listen to it, will get into a lot of this nuance. And it's, it's very fascinating Uh, but you remember the calls to take sides stand with Ukraine which by the way is very fascinating to me how Donald Trump answered this during the town hall meeting on CNN a while back listen to this I thought it would be good just to remind ourselves I have to say I share his sentiment on this
1: can you say if you want Ukraine or Russia to win this war I want everybody to stop dying they're dying Russians and Ukrainians. I want them to stop dying. And I'll have that done. I'll have that done in 24 hours. I'll have it done. You need the power of the presidency to do it.
0: People are dying. They're dying. I want people to stop dying. Well over 100,000 people have died in the war in Ukraine. Think about that. There's so many people and millions and millions displaced from their homes, the war is atrocious. And now you have another war, another attack, another two wars. And the U.S. is going to be fighting both of those, at least by proxy. And if we get involved directly in a hot war, our young men will be coming home in flag-covered coffins. There is a real sense in which the powers that be is like they're playing chess. Of course, a lot of people will say, well, the, the U.S. is playing checkers right now, but that's a different story. A lot of people stand to benefit from war, and it's a very sad thing. For example, the stock for Lockheed Martin shot up when this attack in Palestine happened and Israel. Our own border is not secure, by the way, lest we forget. We tend to focus on worldwide events, and we forget that our own border is basically wide open right now. Tens of thousands of people pouring over. Migrant crossings soar to near record levels. Apparently, according to CBS News, testing Biden's border strategy. What's the border strategy? Well, just let them all in. It's a huge problem. But we forget even about the atrocities that are committed right here, every day in our hometown. I started thinking about when I saw these images of the attacks by Hamas. I thought, you know, our own people are committing attacks on babies. And if you haven't guessed it, I'm talking about abortion. You might have seen the videos of the attacks in Israel. But have you looked at the videos of the attacks on our own population, on pre-born babies? Uh, There are plenty of organizations that are exposing this atrocity and i want to bring our focus on to something like that in a moment where we get caught up in these things that might lead to world war and look at what we have committed as a society right here in our home town in our home state in our home country now There's been good progress, but there's a website called Abort73.com and it has abortion pictures. I won't scroll down here just so that you have the option to brace yourself if you want to see these images. But this is an atrocity that's happening right now in America. Abortion pictures right here, Abort73.com. Also, there's a website, Abortion.com. No, these are abortion photos and videos. And if the attacks in Israel make you cry, I can tell you from experience, these will make you cry too. We should not forget the many fronts that we are fighting battles for morality in the world. There's an organization called End Abortion Now. We personally support them. They are doing excellent work to save babies, but they have a statistic right here on their website, 2,326. Children are murdered every day. If you want to check their ministry out, you can. Uh, They are doing excellent work. They're all over YouTube as well. This is a very heavy episode today, but I wanted to talk about it because, like I said at the beginning, I have a very difficult time proceeding through my normal day without acknowledging or trying to put aside or out of my mind, these heavy things that are happening. So how do we do that? Well, for one, find things to be thankful for to the Lord. Give your family a hug. Give your kids a hug. Go outside. Breathe the fresh air. Live your life. We have to. That's all we can do. But trust in the Lord. What is the explanation for all this suffering, for all this death? Well, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. I love how Ray Comfort says he says, "Do you know what death is?" and they're like, "No, I don't know." It's wages. Death is wages for our sin. For the wages of sin is death. It's our payment. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can be thankful for that. We can glory in that. We can rest in it. Now, how do we understand the conflict in the Middle East? Well, for one thing, people say, "Well, Israel Is God's people, and this is a sign of the end times and all this stuff. Now, I'm not an expert, but I do know scripture says some things about who God's people really are, and Paul writes in Galatians 3 verse 26 to 29, "...for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ." There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So when we think about the different people who are caught up in these land disputes and in these millennium old wars, We need to recognize who Abraham's offspring truly are, and that is those who trust in Christ Jesus. Some of those are Jews, some of those are Palestinians, some of those are what the Bible calls Gentiles, of which I am one. Galatians 4, 28-31 Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Now in the context, Paul here is talking about justification and whether you are justified by works of the law or by faith. And he's drawing an example from Hagar and her offspring and Sarah and her offspring. Romans 9, 1-8 says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Jumping ahead, I encourage you, read all of chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans. But in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. You see, throughout history, Israel being God's people, it was never the case that every single one of them were saved. There are Israelites who are suffering judgment now because of not trusting and believing in God and his Christ. On the flip side, there are many Gentiles who have trusted Christ. Paul here is saying, My heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved, implying that not all of them are saved. Not all of them are children of the promise, according to the Spirit. Jumping ahead to Romans 11, chapter 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul uses himself as an example to say God has not rejected his people. I'm an Israelite and I trust in Christ. You see, I'm saved from death. I have received that free gift of God, that eternal life. Jumping ahead, Romans 11, 26 to 27. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. You see, he said, not all Israel is Israel. He said, my heart's desire for them is that they may be saved. But in the context here, talking about the grafting in of the Gentiles and that we ought not to become conceited or haughty in the fact that God has grafted in all the nations to be children of the promise. He says when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in in this way, all Israel will be saved. He says to the Gentiles in Romans eleven twenty-five to 27, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And finally, Paul wraps up. 11 chapters of theology with this thought, and I'll leave you with this. Romans 11, 33-36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him And to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Sound like something the whole steward should pay attention to? Everything is his. They're from him, through him. And it's to him, for his glory, are all things. And so we ought to manage it that way. So what can we do? What's our response? Well, number one, we pray for those in Israel and Palestine. I'm sure you're doing that uh, with me. Number one, we pray for those in Israel and Palestine. I'm sure you're doing that. I'm doing it as well. Number two, we grieve over the loss of life and barbarism. Absolutely horrendous what has taken place. Number three, we should avoid World War III by any means possible. I mean, let me know what you think. How can we do that? We need to. We need to avoid it. Number four, uh, let's be good conspiracy theorists. Uh, Let's be willing to test our theories against data and information as it becomes available. But let's not be afraid of it, because conspiracies are real. And I'm not saying that this particular one theory is correct, or the questions. We're not even allowed to ask questions anymore. You know, you're, you're already seeing the calls from the mainstream media to squash misinformation and disinformation. Everything is surrounded by propaganda in these situations on both sides. Remember that everyone has an agenda and there is no unbiased reporting. Even an outlet that supposedly is just presenting facts, they still chose to present those facts, and not others. right? Those are the facts they choose to present. For example, we looked at the abortion issue in conjunction with the atrocities that have been committed. Both are horrendous, but many news outlets will talk about the one all day, and they will completely avoid the other one, and they would never show images of the other one. And that, to me, is a big problem. That shows an agenda. Finally, let's thank God that this is not our home. and that we can ground our hope firmly in the kingdom of God without forgetting that our time on this earth is short, our stewardship of all nine forms of capital absolutely has heavenly kingdom impact. And that's here, and that's now. So I'll leave you with that until next week on The Whole Steward. Now that you know more, go out and grow more.
1: All content on The Whole Steward is for informational purposes only. and must not be considered personal, professional, tax, or legal advice. Please consult an appropriate professional for individualized advice. Though we do our best to bring you reliable information, we make no guarantee on its accuracy. So you must rely on your own due diligence to draw your own conclusions. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and may not represent that of the host. Please visit our website for complete terms and conditions.
0: Thanks for joining us today for The Holistic Approach to Wealth from a Christian Worldview. This show is brought to you by thewholesteward.com.